Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. We're going to have our last recruiting show of the year, I think, unless something dramatic happens. But before we get going, I'd like to send a special thanks to Joel Hoffman, who gave a one-time support donation through Venmo, and to Steve Schultz, who gave a one-time support through PayPal. Thank you so much for supporting the show and making sure that it stays free to all Michigan State Spartan fans. Uh, If you'd like to contribute to the show, please go to tffinots.com slash support. There you have the opportunity to give either a recurring monthly donation via Patreon, uh, or you can also do one-time donations to paypal or venmo we also do accept checks if you want to try and get our address you can contact us by email at eric eric at tffinots.com and i can get you the address so you can send us some cash before we start recruiting we decided we were going to talk a little bit about tennessee and there was a scrimmage that michigan state had with tennessee volunteers down in knoxville and this is something they've done i think pretty routinely not with tennessee but with other teams where they have this i guess you call it a secret uh, scrimmage lots of Teams seem to be having these right now, but there's no media, no fans, just a way for coaches to work on rosters, kind of see what they've got, see what it's like with different competition. People don't quite know the system as much, you know, when you're playing them like a more like a game time simulation. And we know a little bit, not a ton, because obviously they don't let a whole lot come out of that. But we saw a little glimpses of what might have happened in Tennessee, although we don't know a lot of the specifics. So let's just talk about that real briefly, because I think this happened about two days ago. As we're recording this now on October 24th. Yeah, it happened on Saturday. And, and you're right. This is something that's uh, come into vogue, I, I would say, over the last seven, eight years. And it it took a two-year hiatus um, the previous two seasons to this one, in part, large part because of COVID. Um, but they're back now, and you're starting to see uh, – little bits of information from various matchups around the country. This is the first time MSU has done it with Tennessee, but that really shouldn't be a surprise. Um, Tom Izzo has a great relationship with Rick Barnes going back to when Barnes was at Texas. You may remember MSU in Texas yeah, played right. several times uh, while Rick Barnes was there. They always had a very good, very respectful relationship. I think they appreciate how the other goes about their business. And obviously they generally, the two programs have had a lot of talent, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So because of that relationship, Tennessee was a pretty good fit for this. Uh, in the past, Michigan state has done this a couple mm-hmm. times with Gonzaga. Now they're playing Gonzaga yeah. this year, of course, um, on a, on a ship. So, uh, you couldn't do it with Gonzaga, but again, that's another coach has always a good relationship with, 
makes a lot of sense. So those are the the kinds of of programs he wants to play these sorts of scrimmages against. It seems the best I've gotten out of this is that Michigan State quote unquote lost a very close game in Knoxville. But there's a few caveats I want to put into that. Uh, the first is Tennessee is expected to be very good. Uh, I believe they're 11 in the AP poll, but uh, the metric polls, Ken Palm, et cetera, you're seeing them in the top five. And I, I think most people believe they're at worst a co-favorite in the SEC with Kentucky. So this is a very good team, very experienced, a lot of talent, uh, some depth, um, good club to be playing against. So losing a close one on the road, even if it was a fully competitive game, would not be an embarrassment at all. Um, second, Michigan State played without Jaden Akins. He's still not quite back. Looks like they're expecting him back uh, about a week or so in advance of the season opener against Northern Arizona. So whether we see him play in that game or not, I don't know, but I suspect we very well may. He didn't play in this one. That's a, you know, arguably you can make a case Jaden Akins might end up as this team's best player. I'm not saying that's a fait accompli, but it's possible. So that would be something for you know Michigan State to be missing in this game. Uh, the third thing is how much these scrimmage results mean is really tough to discern because you don't ever see them. So you can't know how either coach was playing it. Speaking from the Michigan State perspective, there were a bunch of photos that were released first by Tennessee and then some yesterday and then some video clips, or that might've even been Saturday. And then uh, there were some video clips that came out today from Michigan state. Uh, and I mentioned on our, our Twitter account that uh, I was studying them like they were the Zapruder film for, for those <laughs> of you who are under 50 or 60 uh, Zapruder was someone who took a guy who took a video of a film at the time, sorry, of um, the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Um, So it's a joke, but in, in any, in any respect, um, one of the shots on the Tennessee account indicated Michigan state was trailing, I believe 59, 56, with about 11 minutes and 16 seconds left to play. You could see the scoreboard in the background. So yeah, there was another right. shot that had shown Michigan State up by three earlier in the second half, with like 17 and change to go. So who knows what really happened? Uh, again, the best word I've gotten is that Michigan State played very well, very competitively, lost a close one. From the video footage that MSU released today, um, there were some interesting things that were mildly interesting to me. Um, one is you had a couple of shots of Pierre Brooks hitting threes yeah. off driving kicks, a lot of driving kick action from Michigan state. In those highlights. Now, again, those might've been the only two Pierre hit in like 13 attempts. We have no idea, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, but exactly. he looked decisive and smooth as a shooter in the shots that were there. Joey Hauser hit a couple of threes in some of the video footage. That was interesting to see something that I noticed out of the photos. And this goes back to my point about, you can never really be sure 
what the coaches were were actually trying to do. Um, there was a, a, a video, or a, sorry, a photographic still of uh, Jackson Kohler and Carson Cooper out there together. Now, I personally am going to be very surprised if we see that very much this season. But it it goes to the point that coaches often will use these scrimmages or segments of these scrimmages to try some things that they would not do in a game situation. And if that's what's really going on, then you really shouldn't get too hung up on the results. Now, I say this, you know, if, if you were to take it at face value and say MSU lost a very competitive game on the road against a top 10-ish team, you would say, okay, that's not a terrible result for October, right? But we also don't know how Tennessee played it. Tennessee might have done some weird things with their lineup combinations, trying some things out, you know? So yeah. the, the point is you really shouldn't try to take a whole hell of a lot from it, even though as fans – when you know there was a game against another team, your instinct is to want to find out as much as you can, thinking that you can, <laughs> yes. something can be derived from it. But um, in any event, that's as much as we know. I think when it comes to Michigan State right now, football season has been difficult. <laughs> it's been a trying season. People are ready for basketball, and I think you're ready to jump on anything you can find. Yeah. You know, any sort of coverage, right? I mean, this scrimmage happens in mid-December. No one cares. <laughs> But because you don't, you've not seen anything. You're wondering about the development of different players, like you mentioned, sort of lineup curiosity. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's... Two fives on the floor. I mean, you know, is it? I mean, is there more versatility to this team than we even had projected? I mean, there. You know, Izzo talks about it a lot. Like, could you envision a, a Sissoko and Kohler out there at the same time? I mean, I maybe. I don't know. You wonder at the four, how much depth do you have? I don't know. So the one that I'm intrigued by, and we'll see. I, and again, I still, if you put a gun to my head, I'd say I don't think we're going to see very many Carson Cooper, Jackson Kohler combinations at the four and the five. But <laughs> the interesting thing about it is everything I saw and heard about Carson Cooper when MSU signed him is that, okay, this kid's a pretty good athlete for a big man. He had, we talked about it when he, when he signed, he had a, a background uh, as a goalkeeper in soccer. Well, that generally means you've got pretty good lateral movement, you know? Yeah. So, and I, and you know, from what I could see on clips, again, you don't see them tested the way big men get tested at this level typically, but he's a pretty good athlete, definitely a pretty good North South athlete uh, for a kid, six eleven. But the word is he's really coming on defensively. And if that's true, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's a surprise in there that says, hey, that kid can actually guard some four men. I, I can't imagine it with Kohler defensively. I just yeah, can't see it. Right. But Cooper, I, you know, athletically, he's a good athlete. You don't expect a true freshman to grasp stuff that quickly. I mean, you're hoping that he grasps enough to be able to help a little bit at the five, forget going out there and defending stretch fours. Right. But yeah, who right. knows? So, um, I, I imagine these are some of the things that Tom Izzo was probably trying to use that scrimmage to answer. Can I play, can I play those guys together? You know, is there a role right. for one of them to be able to hang, to handle the four at least in certain situations, you know, I, I don't know, but it's, I, I've heard nothing but good things about Carson Cooper's fall. I will tell you that. 
Well, it's interesting because we oftentimes say, oh, this is a player 6'10". They're like, well, they could say be a stretch four. And then he's 6'11". Like, well, clearly he's playing the five. <laughs> you know, it's one inch. And it's just, it's the athletic talent. And so, you know, that's the ability that you need to play that position. You either can do it or you can't, right? You can either get out and cover the ball screens or you can't. Next season, Michigan State's going to have a 6'11 guy at the four named Xavier Booker. So, right. yeah, the height is not the big factor. It's the feet. It's how well can they move? You know, can they actually get out extended away from the basket and hang defensively. You know, Jaron Jackson could do that. Um, Marcus Bainham really never, I mean, he got better as a five man, but he was never a guy you would be comfortable with playing him at the four and guarding stretch forwards. You know, that was, that was not really in his bag. So it just, it just depends, but it would be a really, really encouraging development if they thought Carson Cooper had that kind of defensive versatility. I mean, I'll just say that. Yeah. Right. Well, and then you also, maybe we're just talking about three, four minutes a game, right? Like you just cover for sure. For someone I for think a blow, you know, point, between the, for time the logical conclusion to draw would be they're trying to determine if they can get away with it as opposed to, Oh, this is an answer. Right. Yeah. Right. In a big exactly. sense, you know, it's like, could we get away with doing this mm-hmm. for a stint? It is hard to, too, with a freshman, to imagine them having a huge role in a Tom Izzo, um, you know, for someone who is not an obvious, like a Max Christie or Miles Bridges or Jaron Jackson, people who, you know, you you expect to have a lot of minutes. You'd be you'd be very surprised to have someone like a Carson Cooper, who really no one had recruited, to suddenly have a even semi-major role on the, on the team. I will say this. I have, both in terms of what's been said by Izzo and bits and pieces I've, I've kind of picked up out there. I'm, I'm not saying the five is going to be a strength, but um, I am cautiously optimistic that it will not be the problem that so many anticipated, which would not be a huge shock to me because we talked about it in the spring guys yeah, get better, right. you know, and that's, and that's based on all three guys. I have heard very encouraging things about Mati Sissoko's development. Again, do not take away from that that I'm saying Mati Sissoko is ready to be a first-team All-Big Ten player. But (laughs) in terms of his figuring out enough things to be an answer competitively, to be able to play significant minutes, do the job they need done defensively, be enough for rebounder and give them some occasional scoring – yeah, I'm I'm encouraged by what I've heard. And then, you know, Jackson Kohler, the strengths and the weaknesses are exactly what we thought they would be. But I've heard encouraging things that he's starting to make some strides defensively. And Izzo has flat out said there are days when nobody they have can stop him. Well, I figured that. Right. I mean, Jackson Kohler is going to score on anybody. He just will. Um, but the question is, can he defend well enough to keep out there? You know, and that remains to be seen, but I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic there. And then again, the word on Carson Cooper just continues to be very, very good. And, and he honestly does fit the profile of the kind of guy who shocks you a little bit by how quickly they get it, you know, Mm -hmm. under or lightly recruited, but had some physical tools and sometimes with big men, and again, I'm not, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying I think Carson Cooper is going to be the starter 
or even play, you know, as much as 10 minutes a game. I don't know, but he's got the raw tools physically to be a big 10 level player. I, I had no doubt about that after seeing him. I think the question is, well, how quickly does he put all that together? And with big kids, you just do not know. It is so much of a black box when you get a big kid. Again, if they're not one of the, you know, like a Xavier Booker, you kind of know what you're getting. Okay. That's a kid who's sure. high level enough. You expect certain things beyond that much beyond that. It's a mystery. You know, look at Mati Sissoko. He was a lower end top 50 guy by most recruiting services. We're now entering his third season and we're just starting to think that maybe the light has switched on, you know, yeah. it can take a while. Marcus Bainham, it really took four years for that to happen to the point where he was a competitive player, you know? Um, yeah. Sometimes it happens earlier. Maybe that's the case with Carson Cooper to where he's at least playable sooner. I mean, let's, again, let's refresh our memories. When they signed him, they were talking about him redshirting. So if he, if he even averages, say, seven, eight minutes a game, that's a significant uptick for what was talked about back in the summer. Yeah, well, and the nice thing is, is we are 14 days out as we're recording this from opening day against Northern Arizona. And actually, even less than that, uh, before the first game, the exhibition game against Grand Valley on November 1st. And so we will see all these players play, although maybe not Aikens. I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes out and makes a brief appearance, but yeah, the, the time, the time frame I think for him, as I understand it is maybe late this week to be, to be a full go, I think. Um, so that, yeah, that would suggest that it's a maybe with grand Valley. Yeah. All right. Well then before we get into our discussion, we're going to go through all the commitments and there are or offers i guess i should say and the the recruiting trail for michigan state so first things first is before we even go into the 2023 class i think it's probably good to get an idea for how things have changed significantly in the last what do you say four or five years recruiting has taken a new life of its own uh, it, well it's just its complexity has changed i was listening to an interview with Izzo after one of the practices i think and he was just talking about how it has changed for him. He's always on the plane. He's doing a lot yeah. more traveling and to try and develop these relationships. It's a lot harder because you just have to develop so much earlier and so many more than he had to in the past. I think part of that is a little bit of a reflection that the fact that less of these players are from the state of Michigan and the immediate, you know, uh, vicinity, but largely it's just because of the nature of, I guess, NIL and uh, the transfer portal and those sorts of things. So why don't you kind of just talk about how, it's different now than it was just a few years ago. And then we can sort of understand this big, long list we're going to go through. Why it is the way it is. Yeah. Uh, I think there's, you know, there's several elements to all of this. I, I think first and foremost, something that Izzo has been reinforcing um, in a lot of preseason discussion, because he constantly gets asked about it by the media. Uh, why didn't you go into the portal more specifically for a five man, right? All the stuff we've just been talking about. And, but, it, but it's a broader point than that, that he's been making. He's reiterated that even though the general tenor of college basketball, and frankly, I'll say this when, when the, when transfer rules first got loosened up during COVID 
my assumption was, okay, Michigan State's likely to be a big winner here because they're a major program that mm-hmm. can sort of pick and choose guys that, you know, much as the way we've seen other programs use the portal, that they can go in, you know, other major conference programs, they go in and, okay, we've got a weakness on the wing this year. We go out, we get a wing from a smaller, you know, from a mid-major and solve our hole, right? And my thinking yeah. was, well, you know, the rich are going to get richer. So the schools like Kentucky and Duke and Michigan State are going to really be able to make hay with this. Um, some schools have done that. I think Kentucky's clearly tried to do that. I think Duke has tried to do that to an extent this year. Um, they didn't so much last season, but this year for sure, if you look at their roster composition, they've they've added some transfers. They were active in the portal. Michigan State did not do that. They did it last year with one guy, Tyson Walker, but they didn't add anybody this year. And Izzo reiterated that he wants to do things his way. And his way involves recruiting guys out of high school, building relationships, and helping guys develop. And he spent a lot of time talking about, you know, what players owe the program, what the program owes the players, and, you know, how the portal has circumvented a lot of that. And, you know, this will be an interesting year to kind of this coming season, I mean, to demonstrate what he's talking about. Um, Put the five aside for a second and let's look at the wing. I think you could make a case that Michigan State maybe could have benefited by adding not. I don't think they necessarily needed to add a guy who was going to come in and be a starter on the wing, but you could have made an argument that, oh, they should go out and get some six, five to six, seven guy, you know, who could at least play 15 minutes a game, maybe more depending upon how good they are. But Izzo was a believer in Pierre Brooks. And we're going to find out this year, whether that was, you know, a a smart decision or ill-conceived, but Pierre Brooks would be a classic example of the kind of situation that Izzo has had historically in his program, a guy who didn't play a very big role as a freshman, but gradually gets better and better. And by the time they're an upperclassman, all of a sudden you get a very good player. Mm-hmm. I, I believe in Pierre Brooks personally. I, I saw a lot of him when he was in high school. I'm a believer in his talent. I think he can be a very, very good player, but that it wasn't a huge surprise that it wasn't instantaneous with him. Um, but that's what Izzo's talking about. You know, if he brings in a guy, say he brings in a guy, a veteran who maybe isn't a star, but, you know, can, is maybe a little more consistent than Pierre, can play 15 minutes a night. What does that do to Pierre Brooks? Does Pierre Brooks look to leave at that point? Are you better off as a program having him maybe be a little less consistent as a sophomore, but continuing to develop in your program to the point that you really get the best out of him on the back end? You know, that's something that there's, and I'm not saying one way is right or wrong. Uh, There are coaches who I think believe you play this year by year and you do what you have to do to put the best roster together each year. So if I've got a guy that I say, well, he might not be as good as another guy I could bring in right now, but next year he'll be really good. One approach might be screw it. I want the best player I can get for this year and next year I'll solve next year. You know, and there are programs we see doing this, right? Where there's just a, a turnover every year. They're in the portal. I mean, Michigan at the point guard spot 
has kind of been that way now where it's just year after year it's it's uh new guy after new guy after new guy um that can work there are programs that have made that type of thing work but that's not the way tom Izzo wants to do it so i think that's one overarching thing you have to keep in mind about recruiting that he's made it very clear he is going to continue to emphasize high school recruiting i think the fact that a 23 class you've got a four-man class you know i wondered honestly if we would see that anymore at msu yeah these large you know four or five man classes which periodically we would see like the 2016 class was that way with four guys right um right and we did and i suspect it's not the last one we'll see uh, because he's made it very clear he that is still his preferred method of operation. Um, he is, despite the difficulty that some of his critics have in understanding what he's saying, he has not said he will never use the portal. He clearly has used it in the past. He, we can all cite chapter and verse the several transfers that have played at Michigan State, some of whom have really thrived. Um, you know, Bryn Forbes, uh, to a lesser extent, maybe uh, Aaron Harris, uh, Brandon Wood had a great year uh, as a grad transfer. You know, uh, Joey Hauser on the current team, Tyson Walker. There have been guys who have had decent or better than decent uh, runs, but it's not his preferred method. He is not going to be a guy like, you know, Brad Underwood was this year. That's just not how Izzo wants to operate. So I think that's important to understand. Now you mentioned guy, you know, it is, and Izzo has talked about uh, how often he's on planes and, and it's very clear. If you look at where guys are located that MSU is recruiting, there is a broader scope to what they're doing than they've historically had historically this has been a program that has concentrated its recruiting effort on the upper Midwest. So Michigan, and then from there fanning out Ohio, Indiana, to some extent, Illinois, occasionally Wisconsin, occasionally Minnesota, basically Mm -hmm. the, the traditional big 10 States. I don't know if they've ever really recruited a guy from Iowa. I was thinking about that. Um, But the other big 10 States, that's typically been it for MSU. We've started to see that change in recent years. You know, um, Mati Sissoko obviously is from Africa, but he played at a prep school in Utah. Jackson Kohler is from Utah, played at a prep school in California as well. Um, AJ Hogard from Philly, our suburban Philadelphia. Um, you know, they've, they've expanded Tyson Walker, a transfer, but a transfer from New York. So we've already seen this start to happen, but I think as we go through the 24 and 25 classes and what they've currently got going, you're seeing it even more. And primarily, I think that's out of necessity. You know, recruiting tends to be a cyclical thing where you don't always have a bumper crop. There have been years where, you know, Michigan and Ohio and Indiana are just kind of down. And so either you're going to take guys who maybe aren't up to your normal standard because they're in your recruiting wheelhouse, or you're going to expand out. 
I think what has happened is the increasing importance of prep schools in the mm-hmm. last, and they've been around for a long time, but really over the last 10 years or so, I would say it's accelerated to the point where, you know, if, if you're talking about certainly an elite player, say a top 20 guy, you're surprised if he's not at a prep school. You know, it's a it's an unusual thing if he's not in that environment or currently, I guess, something like overtime. Um, but <laughs> but I think so. I think that's part of it. A lot of kids. So, for example, one of the kids in the 2024 class that we'll talk about, um, Adrian Shirell, is a Detroit kid, but he's playing in Arizona. So Mm -hmm. if you're going to recruit him, you're going to be spending some time in Arizona. That's just how it is. Um, Right. And and so there's a lot of that, but it's even beyond that. Uh, The state of Michigan is not producing as much high level talent as it once did. In my opinion, I don't think that's just my opinion. I think that's pretty, pretty difficult to dispute. Um, and there's lots of debates as to the reasons why, um, some of it is demographic, I think in nature, um, some of it is pretty clearly, I think the MHSAA does the high level, the high end sport of basketball, no favors by some of its policies, which end Mm -hmm. up driving kids like Sherelle and many others out of state to play their high school basketball. Um, it's a lot of different things going on, but uh, the fact is that this is not necessarily a great period for basketball in the state of Michigan. If we look at the guys that they've recruited in recent years, not a lot of Michigan kids on that list. This great 23 class that we're all so excited about, no Michigan kids there. Now there's, mm-hmm. there's two from the upper Midwest, you know, fears is from Joliet, Illinois and uh, bookers from Indianapolis. So they fit the normal blueprint, but there were no Michigan kids. There, there wasn't even a Michigan kid that Michigan state offered in yeah. 23, you know, Curtis Williams, who ended up at Louisville was one that kind of seemed on the periphery of it, but he never got an MSU offer and that's it. You know, um, 22, uh, I, I guess you count Carson Cooper because they got him, but and he's from <laughs> right. Jackson, but that wasn't a normal one. Right. So and he was in Florida. Yeah. Now, you know, the year before that, well, there was a little bit more activity. You know, you had, you had Jaden Akins and, and you had Pierre Brooks as, as in-state kids and, um, and Michigan state went after him and got him, And so that was good. And, and there was another kid, Kobe Bufkin, who ended up Michigan that MSU also had offered. So it, it's not that it's completely non-existent, but there's just not, you know, this gets into old man, get off my lawn talk, but those of us who are a certain <laughs> age will know what I'm talking about. I mean, if you grew up in the seventies and eighties and it lasted even into the nineties, and, and maybe the early years of the aughts, you just expected that every year the state of Michigan would produce not just guys who could help a Big Ten program, but stars, 
multiple guys who were stars. I mean, I could think about classes, the, the 1995 class, which ended up maybe a little bit of a disappointment in the end, but had at one point had four guys in the top 10, Robert Trailer, wow. Albert White, who both went to Michigan, Terrence Roberson, who had a crazy story and ended up at Fresno state and Jason Klein, believe it or not, at one point in his high school career was a top 10 guy. He ended <laughs> up as a top 100. So that doesn't even include other guys in that class, like Antonio Smith, Morris Peterson. I mean, it's <laughs> that, that, that was a strong class, but that kind of stuff happened fairly regularly, you know? Um, I could think about, uh, you know, the year the Fab Five came out. So Chris Weber and Jalen Rose were obvious, obvious superstars. But that same year, Vashon Leonard went to Minnesota and was, I think, is one of the all-time leading scorers at Minnesota and was an NBA player, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it, it just was not unusual at all for the state of Michigan to have multiple guys every year who were kind of cornerstone level players, you know, and we don't yeah. see that as much recently. So to bring it back around to the subject here, if you're Tom Izzo and you want to keep your program at a high level, what do you do? Well, you really have no choice, but to expand out that creates a challenge for Michigan state because, you know, I would not say if you if you calculated these things by rankings and, you know, I mean, both individual and collective class rankings, et cetera, you would probably say that Izzo would fall into the very good recruiting category, probably not the elite category, right? Because he doesn't typically have the Duke Kentucky standard right. issue class, but very good. The I would, I would argue um, the best or near best in the big 10 for his whole career. You know, there were periods of time where maybe Thad Mata might've been a little better over a period of time, you know, but, but for the most part is has been at the top or near it, but the way he gets those classes is not, you know, Michigan state has not, been the Duke or Kentucky, despite the status of the program, where they just kind of sit back and say, all right, we're going to choose who we're going to take. <laughs> you know, the program's got a lot of cachet. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I think that was proven this year with the job they did on Garrick Normand and um, and uh, Kane Carr. Kane Carr. Right? Yeah. yeah. That that they got those guys quickly. But that's not normal. You know, that's not standard issue for them historically. The way Izzo's done it is by building relationships and just outworking people. That's what he did with Xavier Booker. The people around Xavier Booker, his AAU coach, his parents, they all talked about this, how Izzo was everywhere. You know, win, lose, you know, constantly there building the relationship, a real relationship, not just a sales pitch, you know. I think Jeremy Fears right. would say the same thing. And and so that's nothing new. That's how he's always done it. Well, that's fine if guys are within a four or five hour radius. <laughs> yeah. But when they're all over the country, that's a lot harder to do. So 
there are a lot of people I've seen MSU fans celebrating this. Oh, finally, Izzo's gotten into the 21st century and he's recruiting guys nationally. <laughs> okay, that sounds great. And, and I hope that it works. But I also know enough about how he's always done it to know that there are inherent challenges with that that are not going to make it easy. And so I'm not surprised to have seen him talking about that, how he feels like he's always in a plane. Because he is, because he has to be if he's going to recruit the way he traditionally has, right? So right. as we're going to move through all these names and you see where all these guys are, are from and, oh, we're finally recruiting nationally. Isn't this wonderful? Hey, okay, that sounds good. But understand that that comes with challenges for Michigan State and for Tom Izzo because it's not it's not conducive to how he's always done it. I think he's going to still try to do it largely the same way he always has. It's just going to take even more time and effort. And, you know, who right. knows where that goes. And especially with someone like him, who's, as you pointed out earlier, he's has an emphasis on developing high school students. Or, you know, he's not, it, it's a lot easier to pull this off if you're doing the, using the portal where you only have to visit with someone a couple times. But if he's, if he's going to be committed to that, strategy which we'll see how it bears out i tend to think it's going to be successful uh it's like you said it's just gonna be harder for him uh let's talk then about the 2023 class as people have listened to the show for quite a while you're probably aware jeremy fears the first then it was second was xavier booker followed by the quickest succession garrick normand and then cone Carr. so that class is for the most part wrapped up uh they're all top 100 players and some someplace in the, the order not quite sure where they'll actually end up in the end so it's a really great recruiting class we suspect there's still another one that will be added to this class or at least who will come in possibly as a player that time right yeah and uh of course you know so much this and i think this is also one of the struggles that Izzo has you know you don't really have there's not the natural succession of players Partly because of COVID, which that is sort of finally going away because, you know, there are these, are you going to take a COVID year or not? I think that's been sort of a struggle. But also, and and of course, there are always people who left early to go to the NBA and draft, but that's pretty rare in general. It's the, it's the transferring out that you just cannot anticipate and can't expect. And so that, that has made it from a roster management standpoint, you know, how many offers, how many players you can bring in, et cetera, et cetera. It makes it, you know, obviously just much more challenging for him to know and to know what, you know, what pieces you're filling, what, you know, you, you don't want to offer three people and they're all play your know, point guard or something. I mean, obviously you have to be sort of careful about mindful about what you're doing. So anyway, so we have those four players, I, I guess just, you can just give people briefly an update of what's happening next. And I think now these are just commitments. They're not signed. So there's That's a chance they could next not month. go to Michigan state. Yeah. So they're not, you know, set in stone at this point, although every indication is that they're actually pretty tight knit for guys who are, I mean, I guess they see each other occasionally with their, uh, they played a couple times they've played together, but for the most part, you know, they're not aside from like social media, they're not like hanging out together except when they came and visited doing some officials and unofficial visits in this, this fall. But anyway, it's, it does seem like a tight class and it seems like one that I feel pretty confident that they're all going to show up on campus next year. Yeah. I, I'm not worried about decommitments. Um, I, I, uh, you know, it, it should be official with all four of them next month, but, um, yeah, it's, you know, these these issues that are created, Izzo's talked about that as well. And he said, you know, we're trying to recruit 2024, 
but first you got to tell me who's going to be on the roster with those guys, <laughs> you know, and he really doesn't know. So that's, that's the thing you can look at it and say, well, it seems obvious when so-and-so graduating, we'll need a point guard or we'll need a wing. Hey, you don't know what you're going to have. You can guess. And I, and I think mm -hmm. that relative to a lot of other programs, you know, Michigan state has had maybe a little less turnover. Now I say that because that's how it feels to me, but we still, we can look at it and say, well, Julius Marble transferred out last year, the year before that you had lawyer and Kithier leave. So that's three mm -hmm. guys in two years and Watts it's and Watts, too, right? four guys in two years. Yeah. Right. So that does seem like a fair amount. Right. But it, it doesn't feel that way. Um, but I, I think that's the difficulty that he's having. And so I think what that gets you back to is you just recruit guys that you think are good players can, you know, be OKGs, our kind of guys fit the program. And then you sort of see where you're at when, when the time comes, you know, um, when there's a yeah. little more clarity, which really is going to happen every spring. Um, and I, yeah, I, I find it, I find it interesting. Um, and it's going to continue to be interesting to see how they approach that. Um, right now, you know, you look at it and there aren't a lot of guys on the current roster who will have eligibility left that I would think are obvious candidates to leave, you know, to, to transfer somewhere else. But boy, you just don't know because <laughs> so much can happen. You talked about before last year and even the spring and just the last episode, we were talking about the preview show with Michigan state that AJ Hogarth, even though he's having arguably a really great year that he was close to leaving the program. Right. Uh, that's just, right. you know, and so I think there's things that are going on that we, you know, you and I don't even maybe know about that could be factors are working. Yeah. And I think, and I think generally um, Michigan state's going to be better than a lot of programs at retaining guys. And it's the same reason why you didn't see a lot of bad decisions with guys turning pro who had no business doing it. And in fact, you've had several where a guy could have made a decent case to go and instead came back, you know, and I think the same kind of mm -hmm. thing, that family atmosphere, the closeness, all the things we were just talking about with recruiting in terms of building relationships. Well, that applies to keeping guys around. Izzo's talked about this, that the reality is it's now recruiting season 365, you know, because <laughs> yeah you're not only recruiting high school players or occasionally guys from the portal, but you're re-recruiting your own guys to make sure that they're yeah. staying, you know? And, and that's yeah. also, that's a, you know, we, we've certainly at least danced around it, if not stated it explicitly at times, but that is part of what went into the decision to not just go add guys, you know, right. You can, as a fan, you can dispute it. And it's really easy to sit there and say, well, who cares if Pierre Brooks is upset? If he doesn't like it, he can go. He didn't do anything for us last year. Well, that's not how Izzo <laughs> wants his program to be, and it's not how he views it. So he's not going to do that. Or the same thing with Mati Sissoko. Oh, you know, Mati's had two years. He hasn't done anything. Bring in a guy, you know, put up 10 and 5 at a, at a mid-major, you know, or 20 and 10 at a mid-major. 
You know, Izzo flat out said, by the way, this week, he did not like what was out there in the portal at the five spot. Make of that what you will. There are a lot of people I saw talk about how there were tons of guys who could quote unquote help. <laughs> well, your understanding of what helps isn't Izzo's. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important too, and Izzo mentioned this, I think once or twice, that one of the, one of the, I guess, sad aspects of the whole transfer portal is there are 400 or so players who entered the tra- the portal, meaning they left their team and they never found a place to land. And I, I'm glad you brought that up because there was, there was something that at least was mildly interesting to me that came out of uh, not this past weekend, but the one before Michigan state had a visitor. I didn't hear about, I, I didn't hear about this until yesterday, a kid named Caleb Hunter. Caleb Hunter was a guard. He's the son of Lindsey Hunter, the former Detroit Piston. Oh, um, yeah. Played his high school basketball in the Detroit area. He played at, I think he played at Southfield Christian for a while. And then I also know he played at UD Jesuit. And went to Mississippi Valley, where I believe his father went. And had two very good years. In fact, he was uh, the SWAC freshman of the year two years ago. He hit the portal in the spring. Best information I could find was at the end of March or early April, I think, he hit the portal. He has not landed anywhere, and he was at Michigan State. Now, as, a, as, a, or something maybe, as huh? a visitor, yeah. now I don't know what that could possibly mean. Uh, it's yeah, strange, right. to say the least, but he would fall into that category of what you were talking about. And this is a guy, you know, he didn't, he didn't go somewhere and score half a point a game. And then transfer, he uh, granted at a lower D1 level, but still was productive. You would think he would have found somewhere. Well, he didn't. So yeah. as of right now, he does not have a college program. Now, I don't know what's going on and whether that's realistic for MSU or whether they were kind of, you know, kicking the tires on it or, or you know, yeah. just being gracious. Doing it or something. Yeah, yeah, who knows? Right. Yeah. But that's uh, one kid out of countless ones who fall into that category you mentioned. Yeah. And I think it like any process, right. I and mean, this is, this is brand new how it's working. And I think people are going to be much more discerning about when they enter the portal and what their prospects are. And uh, just like entering the draft, right? Like people go in and they come back. I mean, kids will make mistakes for sure, but you, I, people are going to at least, they're at least the experience. There'll be at least a knowledge like, Oh, just cause you put it yourself at the portal. doesn't mean you're going to find some place to go. Cause they're of course new freshmen coming in. I, I would love to believe that we're, would be true because you'd have fewer <laughs> sad stories. But um, I think, and this is, this is one of the things that I think Izzo is getting at when he goes on these, these rants that people don't like. Some people don't like um, yeah. we have made it so easy for a student athlete to make that kind of decision that it becomes a real effort to not do it. Yes, right. I see. You mm-hmm. have to have mature, real maturity at a young age and, and, or at least be willing to listen to great advice around you, which you may or may not have. Mm-hmm. Um, and be able to, as a result of those things, be able to shout down, the voices within yourself, forget external voices. Everybody has an ego. 
And when you're young, and I would think most of us listening to this realize this, when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, your mindset is not what it will be as you gain experience, as you age, you believe things that an older you would never buy into, right? (laughs) That, oh, it's not about me. It's this coach that's screwing me. I just need to go somewhere. They'll appreciate me. You know, maybe that's true. I'm not saying those situations never happen, but it could be you, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Yeah. and very few. So I, I, and, and I think with the system now, the way it is, you could, you could say that in the past, it was very much anti-student athlete. It was so difficult to transfer, but I think there's an argument that maybe we've made it too easy. And, and I would never, you know, my personal belief is I think you have to err on the side of freedom. And so I'm okay with the system that we have right now from that perspective, but I also can acknowledge we have, by taking any guardrails away, we've made it so easy that I find it almost impossible to believe that there won't continue to be numerous stories of mistakes. And we're not even talking about mistakes where, oh, a guy goes someplace and it doesn't turn out the way he thought. I'm talking about what you were alluding to, that, you know, guys who just never get another opportunity and they don't get a degree right, right? i mean at least a lot of these kids get a degree which opens up yeah. some economic opportunity for them later on in life yep they miss it's, out on that it's a it let's it, i think it's the right thing legally morally etc but let's not pretend that it doesn't come uh that it comes without a cost because it does right well hey let's talk about recruiting <laughs> so uh Let's begin with the 2024 class, and uh, we'll start with Kurtang. He's a six-four wing well, let's, for Massachusetts. You know what? Before we oh, before we go into 24, um, just to finish up 23 because we didn't. Oh get yeah, back sure. To yeah, it. yeah, we had we sidetracked um, there. Yeah. So the one thing I would keep my eye on for Michigan State again, absent any you know real surprises, either with guys leaving early to turn pro or guys transferring out. Um, one thing I would keep my eye on that I've been told to keep my eye on is if Michigan state is going to go in the portal, it would probably be for a very specific type of player. And I may have mentioned this in a previous episode, but it's worth restating anyway. Um, If you look at the the roster going forward, the expectation will be, well, Joey Hauser definitely will be gone. And I think most expect Malik call to be gone after this year. Technically he could come back for a COVID year, but right now I think the betting is that he will, he will go, he will be done with college basketball after this season. So that leaves two spots at the four. Those are your two foremen that are gone. Well, they're bringing in Xavier Booker, but then the question is who else? Well, Colin Carr could be another one, but at that position. And I think he will play some four, but I think, the question is, do you really want both of your options at that position to be freshmen? <laughs> it's kind of tough to hold a freshman accountable with another freshman, unless they're a really rare kind of player. And maybe Cohen Carr is. 
Um, I mean, I've heard great things. He played for USA basketball a couple weeks ago and was apparently outstanding. Um, so lots of reasons to be bullish on him, but you see my point. So what I've been told is if they're going to be active in the portal right now, the thinking is it would probably be for a veteran at the four who would be capable of holding, you know, doing things the right way. So that means defending, rebounding, the kind of guy you could use to teach Xavier Booker with accountability, um, but who was comfortable playing a more limited role. So you're not going out looking for a guy who's going to start. So you got to thread a real needle there. Get a guy who's good enough to help, but whose ego is okay with not coming in and having a legitimate chance at playing 25 minutes a night. That's not easy. That brings us back to our, the original part of this discussion with the Tennessee scrimmage. It makes you wonder if they say, well, maybe we don't need to find someone because we are going to have, maybe we got, maybe. You know, right. Maybe you got Cooper. He'd be a sophomore. If Carson Cooper could play that spot, you're right. Then maybe it changes yeah. that dynamic. And, and in fairness, this was something I heard, you know, a couple months ago. Sure. Um, so yeah. if Cooper has developed, it might already be outdated information, but, but that's the one obvious spot that just looking at the roster, you could say, okay, I could see that in the spring. Other than that, probably not a lot that they would need to do, you know, um, cause you have those four freshmen coming in. You expect for now Malik Hall gone, Joey Hauser gone. And, um, Tyson Walker. That's mm -hmm. not a lock that all of those guys go, but that's what you would expect right now. So, right. you know, there's not a, there's not a lot that they would need to add. That would be the one spot where you could kind of see it. But anyway, that's, that's what I would expect in the spring as of right now. But that's of course, always subject to change. Sure. And we just called that the 2023 class. So let's again, start talking about the 2024 class. Kurtang, 6'4 wing for Massachusetts, top 50 player. He took an official this month and uh, people comparing him as maybe like a Josh Langford-like player. Yeah, and so what, what's meant by that is a good athlete, not an eye-popping athlete, uh, but a good athlete, but a very developed, skilled game. Very good shooter, understands how to use ball screens, kind of a catch-and-shoot guy. So think of the best of Josh Langford over the years. I'm, I, I have no idea whether he likes to shoot long twos. I don't mean that. Um, <laughs> but uh, stylistically, think about what kind of player Josh Langford was, and that gets you into the realm of, of what apparently uh, there is to like about Tang. Um, took an official, uh, lots of MSU interest, you know, there's a lot of schools in that mix. Um, remains to be seen, but definitely a name to watch. Anybody they've got in on an official, I think, is a is a name that you have to think very seriously about. And he just took one recently. It was weekend before last. Next would be Aiden Shirell. He's a player we had talked about briefly earlier. 6'10", Michigan native, top 50 recruit. He's now playing prep school in Glendale, Arizona. Yeah, and... You know, the, the interesting thing here, he had a brother who played for uh, New Haven when Romeo Weems was up there. Um, so he is a very much from this area. Uh, Michigan State offered, has had him in on an official. 
uh, already. Michigan just offered him recently, so they're in the mix as well. There's certainly other schools like Alabama's in the mix. Again, not a total shocker. Nate Oates might have some familiarity with the family. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely a guy who fits this recent mold of Michigan State format. Um, so think about Jaron Jackson. Marcus Bingham never really developed into a four, but same type. And and now Xavier Booker, where a lot of length, good shooter, good athlete, um, not really a five in that, you know, he's not a bruiser, um, but lots and lots of potential. So he's he's clearly a name to watch just for the level of interest they've shown and the fact that he is actually, unlike a lot of these guys we're going to talk about, he is a kid who's originally from the state of Michigan, so he's familiar with the program. And that always, you know, you'd rather – You'd rather have that than not, although it, it does raise an interesting point, which I guess is worth talking about here as much as anywhere else. Um, you know, we were we were discussing in part the novelty of the Garrick Norman and Cohen Carr recruitments, guys from outside the region that Michigan State got involved with fairly late and just wrapped up. It was like a Duke style, you know, yeah. oh, they offered. And a week later, it's done and just obliviates everything else that had been there up until that point. I think that, you know, there's been a um, there's an old saw, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. And I don't think that's I don't think that's really applicable here, but there is something to the idea that I think. Sometimes in some situations, it can be harder to recruit a kid who's very familiar with what your program is, as opposed to somebody for whom it's relatively new. Um, And I could cite examples of this over the years. I I don't have to because I'm sure everybody's got their own. But you think about kids from the state of Michigan that uh, I'll raise one, you know, Tugs Bowen. Obviously, there were a lot of things going on there. But that was a kid who was around Michigan State's program basically from the time he could speak, more or less. <laughs> I mean, it was just about that long. And, you know, had a relative who played at Michigan State. And it just, i and again, I'm not even speaking to what the kid may have wanted to do. It's more of those around him, but there have been other situations like this where you would think growing up in proximity to a nationally elite program and seeing the inner workings of it up close and personal for years and years and having it on TV all the time and being surrounded by it, that that would, you know, make it obvious that that's where you'd go. Right. And sometimes that is the case, but sometimes it's not. And I did, it was certainly something I thought about with those two recruitments and then kind of going on to these more national scope kids in, in the 24 and 25 class we're going to talk about. And even guys like Jackson Kohler, um, where you, you do begin to wonder, boy, does it take somebody who's not in that area? where they're constantly bombarded and it's just kind of an accepted fact of life that Michigan state is a great program. Does it maybe sit differently sometimes 
with kids like that. I think it's, it's why it's important that you have to do the due diligence to identify what kids are receptive to that, no matter where they're from. But it, it is kind of interesting. Who's the last kid from the state of Michigan that got offered and committed within like three weeks? Yeah, well, I guess you have Michigan and Michigan State, so you're probably there's always like, well, I can go to the other school. You just let them play each other, right? But I think that's probably part of the problem. I guess. Too. I mean, the last one I can think of, uh, maybe I'm missing somebody, but the last one I can think of was maybe Denzel Valentine. His dad played for MSU, and he grew up in Lansing. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, you'd hope, right? <laughs> um, but but it, that stuff did not happen. A lot, you know, even somebody like Cassius Winston, that was a battle that took forever. You know, that was four years of recruiting, you know, and, and they go out and two kids from outside the region with no obvious connection to Michigan state, bing, bang, boom, it's done. So maybe there's something to that. I don't want to get too caught up in that, but it just does occur to me that, and this is something I've heard, you know, Jim Camperoni would talk about this from time to time that sometimes you become a, it's a variation on this theory he has, which I don't always agree with that. Oh, you can be the leader for too long. If you're the leader, but you haven't closed it for a long time, what that ends up being is uh, you start, you start looking around for something else because you're bored or, you know, whatever it is. I don't Mm -hmm. know that I entirely buy into that, but I do think sometimes with some kids, there can be a jadedness that comes into play relative to Michigan state where maybe a kid from the outside is like, Oh my God, this program, it's been eight final fours hall of, you know, under this coach <laughs> yeah. hall of fame coach. They're in the, you know, they're in the conversation and on national TV all the time, every year. Why would I not want to go there? You know, maybe it strikes kids who haven't been exposed to it day in, day out a little differently. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I think it's well, going mean, to be definitely... it's going to be hard to evaluate that because there aren't a lot of kids who fit into that inundated with it from birth category, you know, and for the reasons we've talked about um, to use as a control or a contrast. But it, it did occur to me that that was interesting that those recruitments, where those guys were from and how quickly they wrapped up. Yeah, you know, if you're in the state, you know every three-game losing streak Michigan's ha- Michigan State has, and the you know people are talking about the dysfunctions. So you know, you know the program intimately. You know all the warts, and you know that if you're in Nebraska, you know I don't, Arizona, you don't know anything. All you know is you see them in right. You raised and you raised the Michigan thing, which is also worth noting here because you know negative recruiting happens all the time. And so you have these, these narratives that have existed in the culture of Michigan amateur basketball, high school, AAU that have no relationship with reality whatsoever. But as, as we all know from countless examples in our lives in recent years, it's not that difficult to create, um, your own worlds and sure. and one of them that's been created is oh i mean i always go back to the tory jackson line when you know uh he elected to go to notre dame over michigan state he said it was because michigan state didn't let you get your boogie on um right. the idea that you uh, you would be a point guard 
and not be allowed to play. I mean, look at the point guards who have played in this program and had massive success. It's insane, right? But that, that then the crazy notion about, oh, Michigan State just wants to play slug it out, you know, football on hardwood. Are you kidding me? All you need to do is yeah. that's a function of playing in the Big Ten where teams will, opponents won't let you run. You watch Michigan State play, and you know that even against those teams, they're trying to run all the time. Um, it, it's all that kind of nonsense, but that also has an impact on what we're talking about. That, you know, an AAU guy in Georgia isn't going to spend any time talking about Michigan State. <laughs> right, yeah. They're not even know about that sort of thing, yeah. All, the, all probably most of those people know is, man, they win a lot. They put a lot of guys. In <laughs> they the wear pros. green. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. about it. So that can be, it's definitely something worth keeping in mind. And of course, none of that means, oh, MSU should just get out of the business of recruiting its own state. That would be insane too. Because the fact is there are a lot of people who see things clearly who work in basketball yeah. in the state, but it just does go to show you that um, sometimes getting away from home isn't the worst thing. But we'll see on Shirell. He's definitely a guy to bring it back around to him to keep in the front of your mind, at least at the moment, because he fits a lot of the things stylistically that Michigan State has emphasized in its recruiting. And everybody, everybody wants those guys. It's not just Michigan State, but yeah, right. Yeah. Um, he makes a lot of sense. So definitely a name to keep in mind. Well, it makes you wonder too if you've got Booker is like a one and done player, then you have that room at this at his at that position that for too somebody that come in too. and play yep. right uh so next a guy in my backyard kid uh Darrell fat fat brooks six three guard from grand rapids catholic central he's been on the target you know on the radar for quite a while and uh can play both on and off the ball yeah and you know that's an interesting one i mean michigan state got in early with him and i had been dubious about their chances because my understanding is his family is very much a pro Michigan kind of family. So you kind of expect some of the things I was just talking about. <laughs> yeah. Right. But he has visited a lot. Izzo's definitely worked him hard, continues to do so. Now I did see, you know, Michigan has finally offered. I did see that he was on a visit. I think it was weekend before last to Ann Arbor. I, I think it was an official, but I'm not positive. Um, very good player and and a guy who you know is not considered a super recruit you know kind of a borderline top 100 guy but um i i like him a lot he's definitely a guy i think michigan state would take um has the ability to play the point can also i think play off the ball uh and just a smart player and kind of a winner um not a super athlete um, you know, the, the, there aren't, there aren't things about his game that stand out as like, oh, well, he's, you know, major strength. Like he's, you know, a 50% plus three point shooter, or, you know, he's a blur or he can really, you know, he's a Cohen Carr, you know, rim wrecker, none of those things, but he just plays the game very, very smartly and he wins. And so he's uh, he's a guy MSU's been in on for a long time, and I expect they will continue to be. So next is a player who just took a recent official, uh, Jace Richardson, 6'4 guard from Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. 
he's the son of this guy. I don't know, Jason Richardson. Yeah. Have you heard of this guy? Some um, guy. Yeah. He, he's a top 50 recruit, uh, you know, and this is the, uh, the, the Jason Richardson uh, relative curse, or uh, maybe this time it will actually help that it's his, his son. I know these, they, they miss on a bunch of his other relatives, like cousins and, or nephews and such. We mentioned Tugs Bowen, and then more recently, Ty Rogers, who um, is at Illinois. And that, that one's a real shame because honestly, Ty Rogers was born to be a Michigan State player. And it just, and I've, I've read some good, Brad Underwood's apparently very high on him in the early going there in fall camp, um, which is not a surprise to me. But um, I don't know. I don't know about this one. You know, Michigan State offered very early. And then it was just kind of silent. You just didn't hear very much. And then all of a sudden, MSU went out to Las Vegas and had an, had an in-home with him and went to watch him practice at his high school, work out, all that. And then he came on an official uh, weekend before last. If you look at the recruitment, uh, Michigan State clearly is in there. Arkansas is in there. Makes some sense because Eric Musselman coached jason richardson his dad at, at golden state for a while so there's a relationship there and then other than that it's a lot of west coast schools which you know the kids growing up in vegas so sure not surprising yeah, sense. i have not been much of a believer in msu being heavily involved in that recruitment but i did hear that it was a very good visit and the feeling is like they're in it so we'll see he's a pretty highly regarded recruit he's not he's not the athlete that his dad was but i mean there are only maybe a handful of guys in organized <laughs> yeah, basketball right. history you could say that about, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but he does have pretty good size for a point guard. I, I have the sense he's more of a lead guard than a point guard, so more of a scorer, actually. Mm -hmm. But um, definitely fits the mold. You know, MSU continues to add and look to add more of these guys who have the ability to where, where you can put the ball in their hands, but they could also play off the ball too. You know, a lot of versatility at the guard spot. That really is the watchword for MSU. And they continue to try to put these sorts of players together. Um, and Jace Richardson would fall into that category. So that's one that kind of, you know, remains to be seen for me. Um, and it is weird. And I don't put that, you know, I occasionally I will see somebody uh, posit some notion that somehow there's a problem with Jason Richardson and, and Izzo. And that is absolutely not the case. My understanding, like hundred percent, mm -hmm. not the case, but I think he just does not insert like there's, there's certain people like, I mean, it remains to be seen if this will ever be tested, but, and maybe I'd be proven wrong, but I don't think so. I would tend to think if Mateen Cleaves had a child or Draymond green, who was being recruited by college basketball coaches that they'd almost kill their child before letting them go anywhere the Michigan state. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, yes. Right, I don't I think see. Jason Richardson operates that way very clearly. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think he's going to, I don't think the fact that he went to Michigan state is going to be the deciding factor in this, you know, at all. Um, yeah. But we'll see. Um, I, I, I heard a little more optimism coming out of that visit than, I'd expected to. So I guess you don't write it off. He's a good player, but you know, they're not a bunch of good players. So not a, he's not a make or break guy, but would be, it would be interesting to see if, if they could land him. Sure. Yeah. And you could definitely expect some people are just 
they don't want to they don't want to make someone feel the pressure of living in their shadow yeah and so you just you say hey i'll talk to you about michigan state if you want to know about it but i'm not going to push you one way or the other i want you to make your your own path people assume that that stuff and sometimes it does matter it really depends on the situation but i can think of lots of guys i mean henry bibby was a ucla guard his son played at arizona you know um you can think of brothers which we're going to talk about as we get into the 25s. But, <laughs> yeah, right. um, you know, the Capel brothers, one went to Carolina, one went to Duke. You know, I mean, that's <laughs> I don't I don't ever recall a situation like that where one went to Michigan State, one went to Michigan. I I, I have trouble yeah. envisioning that, but it does happen. Uh, so next would be James Brown, 6'10 big from Chicago, top 50 recruit. Uh, he's listed Michigan State as in his top 10. And he's already also had an official visit and yeah. he's – Got a relationship with Jeremy Fears, who, of course, is a 2023 commit. Yep. Um, they know each other very well, played together, um, and Brown's been open about it, talked about it. Uh, and I will say this, and I've made this comparison before, but I'm making it maybe a little different way now. I have seen people, Jim Camperoni won, but I've heard this from a couple other people too, that Jeremy Fears, as a player, is as good a recruiter as they've had in the program in a long time. And he just, in so many ways, he reminds me of Mateen Cleaves. And that's one way. Mateen Cleaves was relentless when he was a Michigan State player in recruiting for the program. Like, just relentless. And it sounds like Jeremy Fears is that, too. So what kind of role he could play in the James Brown recruitment remains to be seen. But... I think he's a factor, probably not the deciding factor, but a positive factor for Michigan State. So a kid from Chicagoland um, plays for, I think, for St. Rita's there, so Catholic school. Um, I don't get the sense there's any shenanigans, which you worry about at times <laughs> with Chicago, but um, Chicago, yeah. doesn't seem like it. And in fairness, usually the Catholic schools are not, the, the kids from the Catholic schools are not, involved that it, it tends to be um uh, kids from the public schools over over the course of, of recent history at least um but he's a center all the way you know we talked about Sherelle as a guy who's that big stretch for brown is considered a center like a guy they think could be an outstanding rim protector good post player needs to get stronger but definitely is the frame to add good weight um major recruit the sense i have and this will evolve as they all do. But the sense I have early is that, you know, the biggest challenges for Michigan state would be uh, Illinois and North Carolina. It's a heavyweight battle. I mean, Duke offered him too, but I haven't seen, which is funny because John Shire is a Chicago land guy, but I haven't seen a lot of a sense that Duke is a major player in that one, at least as of yet, it feels like Illinois and Carolina are the other two that you would, you would watch for at the moment, but big time player to be sure could end up as like a top 25 type guy in the class. Okay. Next would be Jonathan Powell. He's a six, six wing from Ohio, top 50 year, 100 recruit. He's also had a visit to Michigan state and uh, good shooter. Good ball handler. Yeah. Um, I, I had a discussion with um, somebody I'm, I'm not going to name who covers recruiting for Michigan state that, uh, that told me that um the feedback they got from Powell on his visit was the most positive they could recall. And they've been, this person's been doing it for a few years, not forever. 
Uh, but it was the most positive feedback they remembered getting from a recruit ever, which was really interesting to hear because that's been a lower, you know, some of these recruitments like Brown is a big name that got, a, and there's a handful of others that have gotten a lot of attention. Powell didn't get as much attention, but he could play. And I took that as a very positive sign that Michigan state could be expected to be right in there. He's from the Dayton area, um, six, six, very good shooter good ball handler so again that versatility that michigan state really seems to be emphasizing it's we want guys that you can put the ball in their hands and maybe not so much you know we have point guards and then we have guys who are kind of catch and shoot on the wing they're looking for more versatility than that in a lot of these players and powell would fit that category so definitely a name to keep your eye on next would be jesse mccullough 6'9 forward from Cleveland. He had an offer already in the summer from Michigan State, uh, but haven't heard much since. Yeah, and his, you know, I was looking into it. His recruitment period has been kind of quiet. He got a Michigan offer. I think he has an Ohio State offer. So definitely a lot of schools circling that one, but just not, has not been as active in terms of visits as far as I can tell um, as some of the other guys in the class. He was, he got an early offer though. Um, which may just have been a function of Michigan State seeing him earlier. You know, I wouldn't attribute too much import to that. But a good size at 6'9", and a very good perimeter shooter for a guy that size. Uh, from the Cleveland area, Michigan State's had some success, you know, Delvon Rowe being the obvious one. Um, so we'll, we'll see where that one goes. Okay, a 6'8 forward from Connecticut, Tyler Betsy. He was offered by Michigan State uh, early October, and uh... – I, obviously a guy who's going to play in the wing, but maybe a little four. Yeah. And this is where you start to get into these, you know, these guys on the East coast were just not used to seeing it with Michigan yeah. state involvement. But Betsy is uh, reportedly very much a three and D kind of guy. So good shooter, but not a guy as opposed to some of these other guys that like we just talked about Powell. This is not a guy who's, someone you put the ball in his hands and, and you look to create, I would, I would think much more, not that he's on this level of athlete, but more the Gabe Brown kind of um, profile, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but a guy they, they liked, they, they went out, visited, liked, ended up offering him. Uh, finally, another Tyler, Tyler McKinley, six, nine center from Missouri, originally from Ohio. He was offered in mid October. Yeah. They just offered him like 10 days ago. And, um, plays for link Academy, Missouri, but he's from Ohio plays for all Ohio, uh, in AAU EYBL program, Nike program, um, kind of a more traditional center. He's not a bruiser. So he's, I think he's about 220. So he's not a huge guy, but more of the, um, back to the basket under the rim kind of player, you know, but clever finisher inside controls his area and rebounds very well. Um, more of a throwback kind of five man. So then let's move on to the 2025 class and we'll start with Jeremy fear, <clears throat> excuse me, Jeremiah fears, six, two guard uh, from Juliet, his brother, obviously uh, Jeremy fears. And uh, I think it's interesting too. And before you jump in there, just that, that Jeremy decided to go back to high school to play with his brother. Yep. Probably, you know, not, uh, there aren't many opportunities to play with your brother when you're a couple years apart like this. So it's kind of a neat, unique sort of situation and maybe once in a lifetime thing. I, I mean, obviously. And so it makes you wonder if their relationship's close enough that it will make a bigger difference in recruiting a brother than 
other times, you know? Yeah. And that's a, you know, that's a, a valid point. Um, you know, Jeremy Fears played at La Lou, you know, high profile prep school, and then was going to play for overtime, but then opted out of that and decided to go back home to Joliet West to play with his brother. Um, so hard to fault any of those decisions. Uh, but I think it is interesting that he decided to go back for that term with his brother. His brother is already like an inch taller, but physically very different. If you've seen Jeremy Fears, you know, he's pretty well put together. Like he's mm -hmm. a solid yeah. kid. Um, his brother looks very thin to me, but he's about an inch taller already and might get taller still more of a, a pure scorer. I mean, they talk about him as a point guard as well, but the sense I've gotten is he's more of a guy who looks for his own offense, whereas his brother is very much an orchestrator, a floor leader kind of player. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean that Jeremiah can't become that, but right now his strength would be scoring. Um, I have heard that his recruitment is very much wide open. So we should definitely not assume that it's Michigan state has it in the bag by any means. Um, but we just, I just got done talking a few minutes ago about, you know, the, the sense that Jeremy fears <laughs> is such a great recruiter. Well, you would hope he'd be able to make some headway under his own roof. Uh, but it remains to be seen. Interestingly, his brother does have an early offer from Michigan as well. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember seeing the pictures of him. I think they were the visit with Jeremy. And I think Jeremy, I don't, Jeremy has some like funny expressions and stuff when he's standing for the Michigan and stuff. And he didn't have, yeah, <laughs> you know, normally family puts on the stuff from the school. <laughs> right. He didn't have any stuff. It was a smart kid. He, even though he's not from Michigan, <laughs> he gets it. Um, yeah, so this is obviously going to be an interesting one to watch. Um, but I, I would expect Michigan State will be in it. It's just there's, you know, there's work to do there. Yeah, and and like we were talking about at the very beginning, it's hard to know where the pieces are going to be open right. for someone like that. And you don't know where, Ed, from a growing standpoint, maybe he'll be 6'5", and you're like, well, now he's a different sort of yep. position you're recruiting towards. Yep. Uh, so then it would be E.J. Walker, 6'8 wing from Northern Kentucky. He's had uh, a couple of visits to Michigan State on unofficials, and for the location, he's obviously been in, he's in Big Ten country still, so he's had other looks from other teams in the Big Ten. Yeah, Um you know, they had him up a couple times in August and maybe it was into the beginning of September. But since then, I mean, he's been on a whirlwind. I mean, he's been at Purdue, he's been at Ohio State. I think he's been to IU. It very much feels like a Big Ten recruitment. And he was really enthusiastic about Michigan State when he took those visits. Um, he has not been back since. I don't know how to read that. Um, whether that means interest is waning in either direction, but it, it doesn't seem like his stock has dropped. Let's put it that way, because yeah. he continues to be taking these big 10 visits and adding offers. So, you know, versatile kid, good size at six, eight, not a point guard, but definitely capable of playing on the wing can shoot it. I think it can handle it a bit. And obviously at that size, those are big pluses. Next to be a six, four wing from Flint, Trey McKinney. He plays at Orchard Lake St. Mary, uh, and you know you hear Flint and you think, oh, Michigan State. Yeah, I, not in this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's been he's been really. I, I'm sorry. I mean, there there are people who will claim that oh, should be so pessimistic about it. And he did take 
a visit to Michigan State at some point during the football season. Might have been in September, uh, but fairly recently. I don't buy into that. Um, I just I've heard too much. His father is a Michigan fan and a deep Michigan fan. And I just have a hard time imagining it going the right way. Now, Michigan State's going to recruit him because he's a highly regarded kid and he's from, you know, a stronghold and from within the state. So you're going to recruit those guys. You kind of have to, even if you don't think you've got much of a chance. Um, But I just I don't hold out a lot of hope on this one. And he's a good player. I mean, he was very good for Orchard Lake St. He plays at Orchard Lake St. Mary's. Um, He was very good for them as a freshman. Um, you know, he's, he's, a he's a highly regarded kid. I haven't seen him be rated as a truly elite guy, but figure top 50 for sure. Um, so definitely somebody that, you know, would be a good get, but I did. Yeah. I just don't have a lot of faith in it. I'd love to be wrong. Maybe sure. I will be, but. Well, and it's still a couple years away, right? So there's a lot of things can happen, obviously. Next would be Jerry Easter, 6'4 combo guard from Toledo, Ohio. And he's had an offer from Michigan State for quite a while. Yeah, you know, and and visited last year and all that. There just hasn't been much happening lately, so I don't know where that is. But he does have an offer. Um, he's from relatively nearby in Toledo, so um, certainly worth mentioning. He's another one of these guys that good size and they say has the potential to play on or off the ball, so he fits that profile. Next would be Trent Sisley, a 6'7 forward from Indiana, and obviously you're going to be competing against the other Indiana schools for a good shooter like this. Yeah, good shooter and, you know, also some some moxie, some some uh, battler in him, from what I understand. <laughs> IU, Purdue, definitely involved, you know, what, what you would expect. So um, got a Michigan State offer. I haven't seen anything about a visit recently. Um, so I don't know, uh, where this one's at, but we're, we're basically listing anybody that Michigan state's offered at this point. And I think, and by the way, it should be said in regard to both these classes for reasons we've already articulated first and foremost, you don't yet really have a good feel for what you might actually need in those classes that, um, it's going to be a while before we get clarity. I think one we talked about the challenges that Izzo would have in recruiting the way he wants to recruit with classes this far flung. But I think one of the ways you can maybe get back into that kind of approach is when you whittle it down. So you're not, I don't expect Michigan state to be recruiting, you know, 10, 11, 12 guys per class full bore. That's just never been the way they've done it. So I don't think they'll start. I think they will whittle this down and it may be a while before we get a real clear sense as to, okay, who's a legit target and who, for whatever reason, didn't end up being one. So the six, seven wing from Indiana, top 20, 10 to 20 in the recruiting class, Jalen Harrelson. There's been a lot of talk about him. He's obviously um, highly sought after by, you know, not only Michigan state, but a lot of other teams, in the big 10 Midwest. Yeah. Priority recruit in the big 10 for sure. You know, IU, Ohio State, Purdue, Michigan State, Michigan, all uh, very interested. 
everybody says, you know, just raves, a good shooter, good handler. Some people even call him a point guard. Um, I think at a minimum, he's, you know, one of the, again, one of these guys play on or off the ball. Um, just too tough to tell when you're talking about a guy who hasn't played a second of his junior year. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, sophomore year. What am I saying? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where the, how the pecking order is going to evolve. You just don't know yet. Um, but suffice it to say, a ton of early interest, priority recruiting the Big Ten, maybe beyond. That remains to be seen. But um, I would expect Michigan State to have a lot of competition here. And finally, for the 2025 class, Francis Chukwudebalu. He's a 6'10 center from Texas. I'm actually impressed that I got his name right, I think. Uh, yeah, and he's, I think he, he is He is probably going to be one of these those elite uh, players at that, at least as far as it looks right now. He's visiting Feels Michigan that State. Way. Yeah, and... Uh, I mean, I, I, I guess uh, this this is that position you or that size and position you can't miss by having too many of these guys for the most part. No, and he's uh, again like some of these other guys we've talked about, like a James Brown, um, a rim protector, a guy who's athletic, a lot of length, has the potential to add good weight to it. Looks like uh, this is a highly regarded player. I mean, he's somebody that. I think people are expecting is going to be a national level recruit with a lot of interest, but Michigan state is in there early and in there very competitively. And what's interesting to me. Um, so he is trained by a guy named Richard Phillips and people may remember him. He was arguably, well, not arguably definitely one of the best guards to ever play at the University of Detroit. He played his high school basketball at Ferndale High School. And unfortunately for him, uh, you know, Michigan State never made an offer because he was in the same class as a guy named Matisse Cleaves. <laughs> um, but he was outstanding at U of D. Outstanding. At 5'9", you know, undersized guy, but just really good. For a long time, he was a trainer in the state of Michigan. And then he moved to Florida. And so he's been training guys down there. Now I haven't been able to determine what the relationship is with this kid because he actually plays in Texas, not Florida, but apparently Richard Phillips is training him because he was on the visit with him in East Lansing and had very, very positive things to say about Tom Izzo. So if you read tea leaves, that suggests to me that at the very least you've got people around this player who are positive about Michigan State. Right. Important. Yeah. Now, does that mean they drive a decision or are they just not impediments? Well, who knows? A lot of time to go with that one. But it's it's a reason why I think Michigan State can be optimistic about it. So that one remains to be seen, but definitely one to keep your eye on. I, I think in general, you know, too, and I, it's probably worth mentioning that and, and I don't want to take these things too far, but, you know, Michigan State has had some changes in their coaching staff over this offseason, as we've talked about. So right. they added Thomas Kelly and Thomas Kelly has been very active on the recruiting trail. Um, you are seeing him mentioned with a lot of guys as a primary uh, recruiter. You know, 
Um, normally one assistant kind of gets designated as the guy for a particular player. And you see TK's name come up a lot. And then let's also remember that they hired John Borovich from right. uh, Northwestern. Right. Who had quite a while ago had been on the Michigan state staff as a grad assistant. Um, so kind of a return home for him, but I do think it's interesting that, and I don't think it's just about those guys. Do, don't get me wrong, but I do think it's interesting that we are seeing this kind of unprecedented um, approach for MSU, at least in terms of the breadth of, you know, the, just the sheer number of kids they're offering. Yeah. That that is something that they have not done before. And it does coincide with adding two younger guys. I mean, TK is not that young. Uh, neither is Borovich for that matter. It's not like they brought in 20, a 29 year old, <laughs> no, right, yeah, yeah. but, but younger than what they've had. And, you know, it, there, there probably is some factor with that. I don't want to give it too much credence, but I also think it would be silly to assume that, oh, there's nothing related to that, you know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you, if you separate out these play these coaches more, you can definitely cover more ground. Right. Where, and especially if, if before you probably had, you could have had just as many, many miles logged, but it was all, they're all going together. Now maybe you have them separate a little bit more than in the past. And so you could still, you know, have a bigger class. Right. I also think it was mentioned. I remember, you know, they, they had the Borovich hire under wraps for quite a while. Like it was known in the tight inner circles who it was going to be for quite a while before it was announced. And I remember hearing about it. The word was, this is somebody who's used to recruiting at the D one level, but not at a blue blood. So recruiting at a place where it's hard to get kids. And of course, Northwestern would fit that mold for a variety <laughs> yeah. of reasons. It's not an easy place to recruit to. And that, that doesn't just solely go back to, you know, not having a winning tradition. It's also about academic requirements. You know, a lot of things go on at that school that aren't necessarily factors in the same way, most other places, you know, right. and that's where Borovich had been. So I think that maybe that's something, first of all, these guys all come with their own base of contacts. So they know people, you know, that other, just like, you know, Doug Wojcik had a relationship with Max Christie's AAU program because mm -hmm. his kids had played there. You know, I haven't seen specifics on this, but I would be shocked if Borovich doesn't have his own network of contacts that he's developed over his career since he left East Lansing. TK almost certainly has his own during his years working at Western. Um, and so that might help you. And then it's just, it could be that it fresh blood has just coincided with a desire to approach things a little differently, at least at the outset at an early stage than they've yeah. traditionally done it. It may also be, you know, we, we could apply Occam's razor to this and say the simplest answer is that, Izzo has decided that because he can't possibly know what he's going to need yet in those classes, better to just recruit a lot of guys yep. and, and not zero in too quickly because you can't identify even yet what you might need. Yeah. 
Yeah, just definitely winnow down as you get closer. Yeah, it's a variety. I imagine it's a variety of these things. It's not any one thing, but I just thought that was worth mentioning that, you know, there is there are these two guys, you know, one as a recruiting assistant and the other as a recruiting coordinator that are new this this offseason. And we are seeing this difference in approach. So it's probably worth mentioning. Yeah, no, definitely. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for a recruiting. And as I mentioned before, we'll we'll I guess address it again if something else happens, if something uh, noteworthy happens. But my guess is probably nothing's going to happen at this point until we're almost through the season. Um, speaking of which, the season starts pretty soon, so we're pretty excited about that. We got an interview with Graham Couch, a local uh, columnist at the Lancet Journal. He'll be coming up in a couple of days, and then we're going to be get into the season. We're going to start do a little episode on Grand Valley, and then be Northern Arizona. And I hope you appreciate all the extra content we're putting out. We're trying to keep you guys engaged as we're getting into getting things moving into the Spartan basketball season. We, our intention has always been to keep this free and accessible to all Spartan fans to be part of our community. So share it with your friends. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Be sure to come out and visit our website at tffinots.com. Or if you can't remember that, the final four is not in the schedule.com. There you can join our community either on the forums or just sign up for email alerts if things are happening and just make sure you're engaged and locked in. And it's going to be a very, I think, a very active community. It's all free. We appreciate your support, those who have supported the show in the past. And if you want to support the show in the future, again, you can do that and access it through the website. But until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.